You're listening to Women Leading Prevention Science, where we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. I'm Sarah Hairgrove, a public health analyst at RTI International and a master's in public health student at the University of Maryland. As I move through my early years as a prevention scientist, it's an honor to speak with these inspiring female leaders in the field. This podcast was developed as part of the NIH Helping End Addiction Long-Term Initiative, or the HEAL Prevention Cooperative. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not the official views of NIH, the NIH HEAL Initiative, NIDA, or the participating institutions and organizations. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Lynn Feline and Ms. Lily Horner about the experiences that shaped their passions for prevention and their unique contributions to the prevention science field. Let's get started. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Lynn, would you mind introducing yourself and your current work? Sure. Uh, so thank you, Sarah, for having us here. We're really excited to talk with you. Um, my name is Lynn Feline. I'm a professor of medicine, the Yale Child Study Center and the School of Public Health. And I'm founding director of the Play to Prevent Lab at the Yale Center for Health and Learning Games. And at our lab, we develop video games as interventions targeting the most critical health outcomes in teens, including mental health, addiction, and sexual health. I should also add, I'm a practicing physician. I uh, attend on the wards at Yale New Haven Hospital where I teach uh, medical students and residents. Thank you so much. Lily, could you please do the same? Yeah. I am Lily Horner. I'm a postgraduate research associate in the Plate to Prevent Lab, um, and I mainly work down on the ground for our large randomized control trial of the newest video game, PlaySmart, um, that's funded by the HEAL initiative. Um, I am also a master's student in the community psychology program at the University of New Haven, where I'm concentrating on community research and evaluation. Lynn, I know you mentioned that your prevention work began in medical school. Could you tell us a little bit about that journey? Sure. So it, it, it has been a journey. Uh, I came to Yale for medical school and then stayed for residency training uh, in internal medicine and then joined the faculty here. I also trained in addiction medicine and worked for many years taking care of patients uh, with issues around HIV and or addiction. And so the first six or seven years of my research career, which were primarily funded by the National Institutes on Drug Abuse, focused on uh, developing and evaluating treatment interventions for adults uh, who are struggling with issues either around addiction or HIV. And as I listened to their stories, it became very clear to me, and many of them were, were young adults, so in their 20s, that what they recounted for me was uh, experiences during adolescence that led to them taking increased risks or being uh, exposed to risk uh, that put them um, in a position where they then developed a problem with addiction. And what I also heard from them is their, their wish if they could just turn back the clock and know what they know now um, as an adolescent, they would have made different choices. They would have felt better equipped to, um, to sort of think forward in terms of what consequences might have been. So at around that time, I decided to make a shift or I wanted to make a shift to prevention with a younger population with adolescents, um, specifically in the age group between 10 and 20. And that's when I um, put in a grant to actually the National Institute on Child Health and Human Development, uh, proposing to develop a video game intervention targeting risk reduction and HIV prevention in young teens. 
And miraculously, it was funded off the bat. And that was now 13 years ago, which uh, led me to establish the Play to Prevent Lab, again, where we focus on developing interventions that really do what my patients mm -hmm. wish they could have done, was help kids in adolescence see what their decisions in a virtual world um, might have impact on not only in their lives in the moment, but down the road in the future. So very different segments of my career, but very interrelated and, and a lot of learning along the way in terms of where I felt I could make the most impact. Lily, what sparked your interest in prevention science? So um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do off the bat in college. I kind of came in with a couple of different ideas. And it wasn't until that I started to really look into literature on different things. For instance, I'm interested in adolescents, maybe juvenile justice and the prison population that I really um, thought about prevention. I was like, you know, there's so many different inlets. We can look at prevention from, you know, escalation of behaviors. We can look at intervention from what we do here on the ground with adolescents, which is, you know, preventing the initiation of opioid misuse or promoting seeking support for, you know, mental health issues. So what really sparked my interest in prevention was just that you can come at it from so many different angles. What's led you to focus on prevention work in your master's program? Um, so as I mentioned, the I've been really interested in, you know, prison reform and reform around the criminal justice system. So when I was a senior in high school, I actually read a statistic about um, on-site dentists and doctors in prisons specifically. Um, and there was just a lack thereof for six weeks to, you know, two months, which appalled me, obviously. Um, and then upon further research and, you know, diving into that area of study, I've really come to know that there are many different inlets for, uh, specifically for prevention, whether that's, you know, the escalation of mental health issues in prisons where crisis intervention teams are used, um, or trauma-informed care, or, you know, policies that prevent recidivism. Lynn and Lily discussed the experiences that made them realize prevention science was the field they wanted to study and shared how their journeys have impacted their perspectives on prevention. Lynn said her children inspired her to enter prevention research and that her experiences in the field have taught her that prevention research is full of challenging opportunities. Lily was led to the field through a class she took and the opportunity she had as a coder on a study. She thinks there needs to be more of a balance between prevention and treatment, especially in school settings. I've raised three teenagers. Um, and so at the time actually, where again, I was hearing my patients' stories who were all young adults and trying to think through how I felt I could best impact a younger population. Um, we had a house full of teenagers and teenagers that were playing games on every device they could get their hands on and clearly very engaged, very much a place they wanted to be. And so it felt like this could be a way to really capture or captivate this audience um, in, a, in a place where they want it to be uh, with the idea that if you're learning something or experiencing something in a place that is positive, that uh, is comfortable, that is engaging, the likelihood that it will have impact and stick is much greater. They really were the inspiration for thinking about not only the issues that that kids deal with you know and the myriad issues they deal with during adolescence but also how to address them in a way that is where they are and where they want to be you make a good point that they're so influenced all of us are by 
the things we enjoy doing and the things that we actively participate in. Um, I think that influence can be positive or negative. It could be that they're influenced by these great prevention messages or that they're exposed to things in media that are harmful or that would produce risk behaviors. That messaging, it's there from the very beginning. It's really critical, especially in those developmental years. So Lily, what about you? Was there any aha moment along the way? Yeah, um, generally for research, the most formative experience for me was the class I took. Um, the research I did was not at all prevention-based, but it was really the process of like going through a pseudo-IRB and you know developing my own hypotheses and what tests am I going to use and my methods and what am I going to see in my results was really interesting. Um, but I actually was a coder on a study a few years ago. Um, when I was just coding this protocol, the lethality assessment protocol that was aimed at preventing homicide in domestic violence cases. And um, my advisor at the time said, you know, the work you're going to do is going to help inform federal policy. And what I like about the work that we're doing now is it might do the exact same thing. We see the director's office really highlighting what we're doing and trying to disseminate all that information. And um, you know, just the wide impact prevention work can have. How do you feel like your particular journeys have impacted your perspective on prevention science? I think prevention is hard. I think, well, I mean, treatment was hard as well. Prevention is hard because uh, in many cases, you really, you know, to determine, you know, that your prevention intervention has had impact could take years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And so part of the challenge or the opportunity is to think about what, you know, what outcomes can serve as proxies for that end point that may that you may not actually see, especially in this younger population, you may not see come to fruition for 10 years or ever. But um, so really to, to think thoughtfully and critically about what those outcomes that you can measure earlier on and be able to say something about what may be the more distal outcome. So again, I think that there are challenges. You have to think very, very broadly. Um, this is what we create is are much more universal interventions. And, and so it's really thinking about having a much greater impact broadly but then also you have to balance that with, you know, is our content, our stories, our, is our artwork, is it translatable to many different populations? So it's there, again, there are opportunities and challenges, but what I have, what I've really learned is that there are challenges that can be met. When I'm thinking of the RCT, I really think about that balance that Lynn's speaking on about the, between prevention and treatment. I'm working a lot of times with school-based health centers and other health personnel in school settings. And I see that, you know, they might not be able to help us as much because they're so focused on treatment because, you know, there is a youth mental health crisis and that's really the focus. But going off of Lynn's point, I think that if there was, you know, an equal focus and maybe it's people like us that need to come in and deliver these interventions, disseminate the product, you know, we'll reach some sort of balance between treatment and prevention specifically in schools. Partnerships and collaborations are key to the prevention science research that Lynn and Lily are involved in. They described how they collaborate with schools and build real partnerships through mutual respect, and how some of their greatest prevention science accomplishments have been the partnerships they've built. I'm curious, how much do you guys collaborate with school systems in your day-to-day -day work? 
Yes. So I'm um, on the ground four days a week. So currently I'm assigned to two school sites in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, so very often I'm there for yeah. gameplay sessions or assessments basically every day after school. If not, I'm in the school working with, you know, security guards, teachers, school-based health center officials. And I'm, you know, recruitment efforts are a real big thing. We have four or five new sites this school year alone. So this past month has been really, you know, getting our name out there and getting the schools to, you know, build that rapport with school officials. So I'm on the ground a lot. Yeah, yeah I think we are, we are a 24 seven school <laughs> yeah. um, and and really a huge shout out you know to schools to educators mm -hmm. as you know teens have been you know our partners in this work both in the development and the evaluation since we started doing this um but schools and teachers just as much they have really been you know getting their perspectives getting their uh collaboration and their partnership has has been invaluable would you guys have any advice for other people working in the prevention science field um, for really connecting with those other key players and building valuable relationships with them? I think, I mean, from a research standpoint, I think it has to feel like a true partnership. It has to feel like it is, you know, of mutual benefit that everyone has an equal voice, but we go in recognizing that school is their home, not our home, you know, that we're guests and that we, you know, that we need to respect what works for them, what works for their students. And I think that respect and that sort of, you know, true collaboration is what has led to our success. I don't know, Lily, you're in, you're on the ground more with schools. What have you sort of seen as being kind of key elements to, to making it a successful relationship? Yeah, I think a lot of what you said, honestly, um, it's finding out what works for that school. All of the sites we're at in Connecticut have different school-based health centers, have different personnel that we work with. And, you know, whatever's going to get a successful relationship going, whatever's going to build that rapport between me and a security guard, between me and a school counselor, that's what we're going to do. What would you both consider to be some of your greatest successes or accomplishments in the field? You know, what we just described is a process that is what I feel is very high quality, um, is very mutually respectful, is really so collaborative so that we have, you know, now handfuls of partners, uh, you know, around Connecticut and, you know, growing around the country. Um, so I think the process by which we do our work feels very rewarding, feels very high quality. Um, the outcomes, again, as I mentioned, we have, you know, finished uh, developing our fifth game. Four, we have fully evaluated um, with really significant outcomes that we're you know now published or publishing on. And so I think to be able to do this work in what feels like a very rigorous, high quality, thoughtful, taking the time to, to do it the way it feels it should be done, and then seeing the results that really show that you did it the right way is i have to say is just sort of globally for me what's been most rewarding the most rewarding thing for me um has been really working with the team i learned so much from tyra and lynn and claudia and Ucha. everyone in the lab really brings you know this this collective brain everyone's collaborating i mean the working with the lab has been the most rewarding mm -hmm. part i think and I'm just learning so much from everyone. And I think it's, you know, very vital to my career and my success, but also to the specific project 
and you know as lynn said the outcomes of this project and the down on the ground work um i can say i've never done recruitment before working in this lab and i pride myself on recruiting these students lily's totally right working as a team is absolutely the best thing it is mm -hmm. and and the the amount we learn from each other given that we just have come from so many different areas of experience and expertise is just really is the most rewarding part of being a team is mm -hmm. to be able to learn from each other and and work together and bounce things off each other and it's it's not any one of us alone that either have to or could do this job it really mm -hmm. is all of us together the COVID-19 pandemic added additional challenges to conducting prevention research in a school setting. Lily and Lynn noted that they had to be flexible in their approaches during the pandemic, and again credited the partnerships and the rapport they built with the schools for being able to continue their research. This global pandemic didn't make it any, didn't, didn't make it any easier given that, you know, what we do, even though our interventions are digital, and so they, you know, technically can be you know, um, implemented remotely, and we've devised extensive systems for collecting data from our research participants remotely. But a lot of what we do is on site. We go to them. We bring iPads. We bring headphones. We are on on their site. We don't we don't drag them. You know, down to Yale. You know, to a research site. We go we go to where they are. And so obviously the pandemic created huge issues, I mean, for everyone and particularly for schools and students and mm -hmm. teachers. And so we had, to, we had to work around that and be very creative and think outside the box. And you know, even with the current project, we've had to pivot and be flexible. And so I think, you know, certainly that's not a, <laughs> not a challenge I would have forecasted having, you know, three years ago, but, I think what it highlights is that there are challenges that come up like that. Some of them, you know, environmental hurricanes, pandemics, you know, some of them that, you know, for example, schools have a lot on their plates. Teachers have a lot they have to accomplish. There's a lot of issues going on with students that we try to help with, like Lily mentioned around mental health, around substance misuse, um, you know, we're here to kind of help, but teachers also have a lot of other responsibilities. So we have, again, it's, it's negotiating and navigating in a way that we try to provide help, but also re recognizing it's a challenge to work in what's a very busy, you know, packed day for these teachers mm -hmm. and these students. I think on the ground, um it is really difficult for the students and the teachers. I come into a classroom at the end of the day and the teacher has been teaching for eight hours, no breaks. I'm teaching English, then I teach history, then I do, you know, this extra learning club. Um, and I think, you know, just a simple conversation, meeting them where they are. Not, I mean, obviously we do that in game development, but all on a day-to-day -day basis. You want to have, you know, vent to me a little about your day and we're going to build rapport that way? Sure, whatever. Um, it's really about what works for them. And I, I've, our team does a phenomenal job, everyone on the team, about doing just that. Um, so I guess it would you could pose it as, as a challenge, but also as a strength, um, mm -hmm. just the aptitude of the whole team. What piece of advice would you provide for a woman who's interested in pursuing a career in prevention science, whether they're in high school or college or a career already that isn't prevention? I would say my piece of advice would be go where you speak passionately. 
And you might not always know where that is at first. You might have a, I came into a college, for example, with a lot of different interests. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I would start talking with my hands and talking about adolescence and juvenile justice and the criminal justice system and then what we do. And uh, I think go where you speak passionately is really important because you could speak well on a lot of other things. You might not speak passionately about everything. Um, that'd be my little piece of advice. I think Lynn might have some better advice. <laughs> oh, no, I think I think that's that's right on target. And I think you you also highlighted something that you you don't always know what it is that you want to do. And so, you know, Lily and I were talking the other day and, you know, I told her that I had always had a five year plan. Like that was my whole thing was my five year plan, my five year plan. And then, you know, as new opportunities came up, because 15 years ago, I never would have thought that I'd have this lab that focused on video game interventions. So so, you know, sometimes you find out what you want to do by doing things that you find out that you don't want to do them. So it's, mm. it's, it's good to be open to trying a whole range of things and really follow opportunities. You know, I have thrown my five-year plan out the window because <laughs> I feel like there are so many opportunities that have come up that I never would have thought this is what I want to be doing. And if you're not at least open to it, and to trying things and following a path and seeing where it takes you. So I think that, you know, and I think that goes, I mean, I'm talking sort of broadly career-wise, but also for prevention. You know, it's, it's good to have a range of experiences. But I think what Lily highlights, which really resonates with me, is that, you know, I could talk about this stuff for hours, for days. Mm -hmm. you know, it really, I love what we do. And so I think to, but it can take a process to figure out what that, I love this work we do is for, for the person. So be open opportunities, you know, some things won't be what you want to do. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's how you learn. Um, but just, yeah. you know, follow as Lily said, you know, wherever you're waving your hands around and can't stop talking about it, that may show you that that's really, you've landed in, in your place. Yeah, no, I really like how your pieces of advice sort of tie in together. Mm -hmm. um, like, yes, take those opportunities, do those things, but really keep an eye out for what you find stands out to you the most or what you find that you just want to talk about at dinner at night after work. Like, what are you still trying to talk about? Um, Lydia, I like your point that you can speak well about anything. You can learn something and, and do that well, but you're going to be best at the thing that you really care about. I know one piece of advice that I've gotten, because again, I just started grad school this fall, um, was to say yes to everything at first and then say no and whittle it down. And I think that's been really helpful to hear that it's okay to cut 80% of the commitments you make because you land on those 20% that you really like and that you really feel passionately about. Absolutely. And, and whittling down is key because you can't be, <laughs> it can't be everything to everybody or else you'll be nothing to no one. So you have to, you have to be open and then you do have to narrow down because you just, you can't do everything and you're not gonna enjoy anything if you're trying to do everything. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Women Leading Prevention Science. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to join us as we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. We hope you'll share this podcast with your prevention science colleagues and with any young women you know that may be interested in pursuing a career in science. 
The HEAL Prevention Cooperative is funded through the NIH HEAL Initiative, an aggressive effort to speed scientific solutions to curb the national opioid public health crisis. The HEAL Prevention Cooperative includes 10 research projects throughout the country and one coordinating center based at RTI International in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. For more information on the NIH HEAL Initiative, please visit heal.nih.gov.